and welcome back to another episode of Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downey. My guest today is Dr. Michael Gelb, a world-renowned inventor, lecturer, NYU professor, and the author of the best-selling book, Gasp, Airway Health, The Hidden Path to Wellness. Known for his breakthrough work in TMJ, airway center disorders, sleep apnea, sleep disorders, and chronic headache treatments, Dr. Gelb has pioneered and coined airway-centric dentistry and is transforming lives at a scale by helping people feel better and breathe better. Dr. Gelb has been featured in the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, Fox News, CBS, CNN, Women's Day, The Globe, and ABC News, just to name a few. A board member and chair of the Development Committee for the Airway Revolution Foundation, a co-founder for the Foundation for Airway Health, the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry, and the Gelb Institute. Dr. Gelb is an entrepreneur, a mentor to many, and an inspiration to all, with a mission to transform and save millions of lives through airway-centric dentistry. Dr. Gelb is a graduate of Tufts University and Columbia University, and is the son of Dr. Harold Gelb, who pioneered TMJ treatments and linking it to the rest of the body. You can find out more about Dr. Gelb at gelbcenter.com. And now, here's my interview with Dr. Michael Gelb. All right. Thank you for joining us on the show today, Dr. Gelb. I really appreciate it. Rebecca, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. Uh, For everybody that doesn't know, your dad is Harold Gelb, who pioneered the treatment for TMJ. And you've spent your career building on this and have connected that to airway and sleep. So let's just talk a little bit about how you made this connection and how it's changed the way you approach dentistry. Yeah, so in 1990, I got exposed to, uh, I had just taken over the program at NYU, the TMJ and facial pain program. Uh-huh. And we brought in Jonathan Parker, and then uh, maybe a month later, we, we brought in Wayne Hallstrom. They were dentists that were working at that time with sleep apnea and snoring. Uh-huh. And they inspired me, and they showed me how the jaws were related to the airway. No one spoke about airway, actually. They told me how they had figured out and come up with the fact that the upper and lower jaws, actually, by putting them in a different position, we could maintain an open airway. And so I took my dad's work that had brought the jaws down and forward. You Uh see, dentistry had been pulling the jaws back, had been retracting the face and retracting the jaws for about 75 years. And, you know, what we can talk about, this has been happening for the last 300 years or so, uh, to a large degree for epigenetic reasons. So environmental Mm -hmm. reasons, let's say. Right, right. And soft diet. So I think, you know, my dad would go to these conferences on fatigue and he would say that when he fixed the TMJ, he got rid, he allowed them to have more energy. And he thought it was because he had gotten rid of their pain and they were able to probably sleep better, but he really attributed it to his work with the TMJ. And what my dad didn't, I think, realize at the time, but he was really, really one of the first airway dentists that he and Bill Farah and those few dentists, Barney Jenkelson, that were actually pulling the jaw down and forward were in effect opening the airway. Okay. 
And it wasn't until I got a CAT scan, a comb beam scan, CBCT, in let's say 2010, that I was able to image and I was able to show that by bringing the jaw forward, I could get a double, a triple, a quadruple the size of the airway. And then around the same time, we started coming up, Dr. Remmers, John Remmers came up with the first home sleep test. Okay. So the, the two technologies that we got in the last, let's say, 15 years were the imaging where we could finally see the airway and measure the airway. And then we could also measure your sleep. And before that, it was a $5,000 test. You had to sleep overnight. You had to get all the electrodes wired up to your brain. And um, a lot of people were not doing that. And so the advent of home sleep testing in the dental office being given out by the dentist was a huge, huge step forward because for the first time, not only could we visualize the airway, but we could measure the quality of a patient's sleep, how many times they stopped breathing, their oxygen every second of the night, whether they slept on the right, the left, the back, the stomach, and actually oh. start to measure how much deep sleep they were getting and how much REM sleep. Wow. Wow. And so you, and you mentioned the, the CBT. So for people that don't understand or have never, you know, it's still kind of a new phrase. Um, you know what? People. It's it's still really new. So when yeah. I say when I say CBCT, I'm talking about basically a three-dimensional scan that dentists take. It's about one fortieth to one fiftieth the amount of radiation. We get the results within five minutes, four almost immediately. We get the results. We send everything out to radiologists, but it's just the most beautiful images of not only the TM joints and of the face, but of the airway, the teeth, infections, you know, what we can talk wow. about oral systemic later. But because we're taking cuts through the bone, we can often find infections that regular two-dimensional x-rays would never, ever see. Wow. So you go to a dentist, they say you don't have a problem, but we're able to cut the tooth in sections like the $10 million machines do. We can do the same thing for a fraction of the price. Wow, that's amazing. And and it's not, uh, you know, I, I've learned this from other dentists, it's not everywhere, right? I mean, so this is, is it a cost thing or is this a training thing or a little of well, both? Dentists have been taught to be, my father told me, dentists look like this. Dentists, you know, dentists are looking <laughs> to focus on a tooth, on, on a margin, on microns. And I'm trying to, I, I'm an advocate of the big field. So I have a very big field view. It should be the standard of care in every office. Okay. It, should, not there, it, yeah. will, be, it will become the standard of care because if we want dentistry to move into towards children's health, if we want dentistry to move towards health and wellness, and of course, all the all the healthcare uh, specialties are supposed to be about health and wellness. Right. So we're not supposed to be repairmen. We're not supposed to be fixing teeth. What dentistry is really about is supposed to be furthering and enhancing our wellness. Okay. And I'm a big, I'm a big spokesperson for taking dentistry into that next era, or maybe back to the era where, where maybe some of us started uh, and people like Weston Price and people that have looked at nutrition and, and Dr. Barkley 
Um, and there were there have been others along the way that have that have that have talked about this, but it's never really been widely embodied that dentistry, and we can talk about some of the things we're able to do now in dentistry. But I when I went into this field because of my father, I thought it was pretty cool to be able to get rid of people's headaches and pain and change their oh, yeah. lives. But I never imagined that I'd be able to do what I can do now that I'm able to uh, open the airway. Yeah. Yeah. And for those listening, I'll put a link to um, a podcast episode we did many months back uh, with Dr. Becky and she digs into Weston Price. So, you know, people can That's some great, great information in that segment. And this kind of leads me into something that I heard you say actually recently um, on a YouTube video that airway trumps everything else in dentistry, which to me, you know, with somebody with a dental background, that's a pretty big statement to make. I mean, why? well, why? you know, it's it, for, uh, for people like me, it's, you know, it's fairly obvious, but <clears throat> when we say that airway trumps everything, so you can go two weeks without uh, eating. Mm -hmm. You can go maybe four or five days without drinking water. Um, you can go maybe four minutes without breathing, without oxygen, without air. And so I believe the reason we have teeth, the teeth is the scaffolding that supports the airway. And because the dental profession because we treat the upper and lower jaws and because the tongue and the soft palate are attached to the jaws, basically 50% of the airway are things that the dentist encounters and works with every second of the day, every patient. Mm -hmm. And then the nose, the other 25% of the airway, which is the nose is controlled by the upper jaw. So the top of the upper jaw Mm -hmm. is this is the bottom of the nose it's the mm -hmm. same bone right and so the dental profession really are the ones and you know i came up with airway centric dentistry howie and hinden and i talk about airway and airway centric and we wrote the book gasp mm -hmm. um but the reason that it trumps everything is that you're when you breathe and you sleep the way that you breathe at night determines systemic inflammation. So in other words, when you stop breathing or you don't breathe so well, you two things can happen. Okay. You can get drops in your oxygen, hypoxia. Uh -huh. You can get uh -huh. your oxygen to goes down or your sleep gets fragmented or disturbed. You don't get good. You don't get into deep sleep. Both of these can lead to systemic inflammation which is okay. basically aging, it's aging, it's heart disease, it's Alzheimer's. And in addition to systemic inflammation, when you get hypoxia and sleep fragmentation, you get oxidative stress, you start rusting, oxidative stress, endothelial oh. dysfunction, which means your blood vessels, like hardening of the arteries, mm -hmm. your blood vessels don't dilate the way they're supposed to. Oh, You're not getting okay. nitric oxide. And so your blood vessels, when they don't dilate, you're not getting, you get ischemia. You don't get blood to the brain and you don't get blood to the heart. In addition to that, your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight nervous okay. system gets upregulated. You get increased sympathetic activation, which leads to high blood pressure. 
which leads to more cortisol, which has very negative effects on your liver. And so if you really look, you just think about it. When you manage the airway, now that I'm managing the airway, I'm, I'm able to get rid of people's anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because look, the patient's yeah. being choked. The, patient, the patient's being choked 100, 200 times a night. I'm not going to tell you what time someone's going to come in and choke you or they're going to pinch you in the nose. You're going to get panic attacks, anxiety, depression. And by the way, that type of depression is drug resistant very often. Really? Yeah. So those people out there where they try all these different antidepressants and they don't work. Yeah. When you open the airway, all of a sudden, either you don't need the antidepressants or the antidepressants you, you were taking start to work. So if you look at drug, you know, high blood pressure, same thing, arrhythmia. So there's about an 85% correlation for people that don't breathe well at night that have sleep apnea. Uh, 85% of people with cardiac arrhythmias have sleep apnea. And if you want to lose weight, I mean, that's why they say, if you want to treat airway and sleep, it's a lever. James Nestor says it gives you leverage or a lever to treat things that you were never able to treat. So if you're trying to get rid of those first 10 or 15 pounds or last 10 or 15 pounds, I will guarantee you that if I get you sleeping well through the night, you will just lose 10 pounds without even thinking, with the same diet, same exercise. So when Howie and I, when I talk about the pillars of health, which is mm-hmm. exercise, diet, nutrition, and a good mental attitude. The one that trumps all of those is airway, breathing, and sleep. So the fact that the dental profession is probably the best specialty, and we work with ENTs and we work with pulmonologists and we work with, you know, Buteco, and we work with a lot of other people, but the dental profession are the ones that biomechanically, anatomically, we can not only grow the airway, we can stabilize the airway with devices, but we can also grow the airway in children. And I believe we can prevent children from ever getting, becoming a snore or becoming a sleep apneic. So those of us that I think that are forward thinking, like Christian Guimanot was, mm-hmm. and I was with him in India, we believe that these disorders are ultimately optional or they're preventable. Okay. And then, so this then is what you, this is what was at the core of what, when you said that, you know, being airway centric is about brain development because it's all about that oxygen and everything hitting the brain and feeding it. Yeah. When I, and also you got to understand that if you go back in dentistry to 1924, it's also a play on words because when my dad used to have the fights with Peter Dawson and with Panky, when the rest of dentistry was shoving the jaw back into what they called centric relation, which was a way that you could mount models on a study model. It's the way that they would build dentures. It was the way they would build your teeth. And you had to shove the jaw back into a repeatable position. Now, when they shoved the jaw back, which they started to do in 1924, and they did up until 1985, and they're still doing today, the reason that I'm now friendly with Whit Wilkerson and we become good friends and I'm friendly with Mark Murphy and I'm friendly with people from Dawson and Panky, we agreed in the Swiss tradition, we agreed that as long as our academies agreed that opening the airway 
was more important than the TMJ, we would not argue anymore about TMJ. We wouldn't argue. We, as long as we all took a treaty and we took an oath that we all agreed that anyone that agrees that opening the airway is important for children and adults, we're now all friends and we've, we're getting along great because we, our mission is so much of a higher and more profound level. It's mm -hmm. so much more important than arguing about the TMJ because actually my airway centric philosophy says that if you open up everything, if you get someone, a woman or a man, but particularly a woman to sleep through the night, she probably won't have TMJ. If you give someone good restorative sleep and oxygen, it's probably going to relax all the muscles and it's going to get, so the airway trumps the TMJ. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so if you do the orthodontics that we're going to talk about, if you uh, enlarge the maxilla, the upper jaw, Mm -hmm. you're going to untrap the lower jaw and you're probably going to prevent TM. You'll never get a TMJ problem. So you understand how profound yeah. it is. So yeah. the, whole, the whole conversation changed 10 years ago when Gary, Katie with Wilkerson, how, uh, Howie Hinden and I were in a uh, restaurant in New York city. And we said, we're going to form the Swiss dental society. That means we're going to be neutral we're not going to say, we're going to all agree not to, we're going to put up our white flags. And we started having these white flag events through the APMD and we were bringing people with different opinions. And because we were all airway focused, airway centric, we, we could really move a lot further. We were started to collaborate much, much more. And we realized that we needed individuals like lactation consultants, doulas, we needed speech language pathologists. We needed OTs that are working with feeding issues in kids. And we started to allow everyone to come to the table as equals, not in this position dominant and the dentist is subservient, uh -huh. but in a, in a very parallel and equal tract where the speech language pathologist is just as important as the physician and the myofunctional therapist. And that gave everyone a really nicer way to um, communicate a safer space. And it just became the dialogue got, gets better and better and better. Yeah. And for anyone that has never listened, I'll include the link to the AAPMD in the show notes because there's for parents as well as medical professionals, there's always events online that people can, can join in. And, and I personally have learned so much and this was the first time that I had really actually seen this kind of um, cross-functional, I guess, group yes, come cross together. Cross-pollination, a lot of cross-pollination. Yeah. And talk about these issues. And it, they, for me, it's it's really fascinating. And then to see how they all play on each other. Um, yeah. So I'll and listen, that. we now have airway-centric physical therapists like Brad Gilden. So now we have a whole group of airway physical therapists and now they're talking with the speech language pathologist and they're learning more about myofunctional therapy and the myofunctional therapists are learning more about the physical therapy. And now we're starting to expand diaphragms and we can treat ribs and we can treat injuries that people might've had. And we can actually work with, they're, they're doing Bateco breathing, they're doing Wim Hof breathing. And so this whole thing, and then the book Breath got published and you know we're coming out with movies now and documentaries. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we got to understand, Rebecca, only 15% of these patients have been diagnosed. That's terrible. Yeah. So 
30, we've only moved about two to three percentage points in the last, I've been doing this 32 years. We have failed. We've only, we haven't failed in that more people are talking about it, but the pace for me has been so slow in that we've only achieved a 15% diagnosis rate. That means 85% of the kids and the adults out there have never been diagnosed with this problem. Wow. Which is just, I mean, that's, that's astonishing to me. Um, kind of along these lines, I mean, about, you know, undiagnosed, and I I can't remember where I saw this, if it was something you said or something I read, but the research estimates 25% of kids are actually born mouth breathers, which that alone, that just blows me away. And 50% of people with orthodontics are going to have more breathing issues down the road because of the treatments they're getting now. And I'm assuming they're... Yeah, we're talking no, about no, what, no, retractive no. Such a good question. So, you know, when I when I, I kept reading the work of Christian Guimanon. So Christian mm-hmm. Guimanon from Stanford, he invented upper airway resistance syndrome. Mm-hmm. He was there at the beginning with Bill Dement, and he came from France and he settled in. And he, he was always a good thinker, but he's the one that made me aware that, you know, all preemies. So if you're born bef- before 35 weeks, you're you're a mouth breather. And then if wow. you try to suck, and then I learned this from Lois Lane and Patty Otter, if you're trying to do suck, swallow, and breathe, an infant that's born too early cannot suck, swallow the milk, and breathe through their nose. At the same they time. Can't, they, can't can't, do they, don't, they can't coordinate those three reflexes because they don't have the development of their nervous system. Oh, Okay. And I also never knew, and this affected me personally, I never knew that a kid could be born as a mouth breather. I mean, I never realized that. But then I I see all these pictures of these kids like this. And I know that whether it be the anatomy and and what one thing that I that I that I told Joe McCarthy, the famous plastic surgeon, he said one of the great regrets of his career was that he never realized that the kids with P, uh, Pierre Robin, Cruzan, all these kids that are syndromal, that have birth defects, mm-hmm. what the kids die of, what they die of is sleep apnea. So he really? never realized that the kids were dying. They weren't dying of the syndrome. They were dying that they couldn't breathe. And the treatment actually, when they trach them, they would have to trach those kids and then okay. they, they didn't die. So we treated some kids at NYU that had syndromes and they all had tricks. So when I started learning this, I mean, that was fascinating to me because I never, and then I was a mouth breather. My mother became a myofunctional therapist, but too late for me. And that's why, you know, children airway first and early, early, early intervention um, that was really profound. And we can talk about Karen Bonnick later, but the second thing was with the orthodontics. Okay. Now the orthodontists started taking out bicuspids. So if you believe in what James Nestor talks about, if you believe that our skulls, and you could just look at skulls from Smithsonian Institute, you can look at the Morton collection at Penn, like Mariana Evans and Kevin Boyd have. You can look mm-hmm. at uh, 
uh, the Natural History Museum in New York, if you look at skulls that are 500 to 1,000 years old, you're going to see that the mid-face is much more developed. Uh -huh. And if you go back and you look at Neanderthal man, you'll see that they had these big, broad, and wide, they, yeah. they had wide faces. They had projecting snouts. I mean, they had like, and what's happened as our brains got bigger, our mid faces started to go back and retract. Okay. So we didn't need the orthodontic community taking out four teeth. And, <laughs> and then, then, then they pulled it back more. They pulled it back, yeah. And my father was arguing against this for 40, 50 years. But I think what's so sad is that there's at least a good percentage of the orthodontic community that is stuck in the dogma and is still using retraction. They're putting brackets on teeth. They're putting wires on teeth. They're using interproximal reduction. In other words, they're shaving between the teeth, like with Invisalign, so that oh. they can make everything smaller. And if they have a jaw where you have buck teeth, instead of moving the lower jaw forward, they'll, they're moving the upper jaw back, which, which again- is pinching the airway at that point. And pushes right? the tongue back. Which blocks the airway. Right. And so, you know, the orthodontist had a conference <clears throat> in Marco Island, and basically they're a guild. They're trying to protect their own instead of admitting that, you know, there are better ways to do it and that airway trumps and that Gelb and Hinden are right, as well as many, many people like David Gazal, Ron Churvin, uh, Steve Sheldon, Karen Bonick. I mean, we know the relationship is there between ADHD, prefrontal cortex issues, and the airway. And Steve Sheldon has said it. He's written chapters. He said probably 50% of the kids out there that have ADHD and these behavioral issues probably don't have ADHD. They probably just have a sleep problem, an airway problem. And right. we know and that, that we, can, and we can get them off of medications once we take out the tonsils and adenoids or once we expand the airway the kids are, are perfectly fine. And, and, and we're thinking that that's because it goes back again to air and the brain and the whole connection. Well, you got to realize that the brain, yes, the brain develops between birth and age six or seven. So the most rapid period of brain development is also when we get those tonsils and adenoids in. And so uh, the, by the orthodontic community waiting until 11 or 12, which is what they did for a hundred years. Yeah. Now they put it back to seven, but the brain tissue is already developed by seven. Kevin Boyd has told us you got to get in there earlier than age five. So we'll get in there in one day of age. We'll, we'll treat a phrenectomy. We'll cut the tongue tie so the kid can latch on because breastfeeding is the first best defense. Breastfeeding is the way that you start to develop the airway at birth. Right. But a lot of these kids that have feeding issues are also kids that are mouth breathers, are also kids that they can't suck, swallow, and breathe. Uh -huh. So the same kid that has sensory integration issues, the same kid that's going to have issues with speech later on is the same kid that also happens to have a narrowed airway. And then as adults, the same people that are getting laryngospasms that are choking on food, they're also the ones that have a narrow, they're narrow in this part of their body. Mm -hmm. That's where your air comes down, and that's where the food goes down. Mm -hmm. 
You're listening to Airway First with today's guest, Dr. Michael Gelb. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for parents and medical professionals, including videos, blogs, recommended reading lists, comprehensive medical research, podcasts, and so much more. We encourage parents to join the Airway Huddle, our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you a medical professional or parent that is interested in being a guest on the show, or do you have an idea for an upcoming episode? Shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website, or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, let's jump back into my interview with today's guest, Dr. Michael Gelb. So because our skulls have changed and because of iatrogenic dentistry, because the way the dentistry has been done, it just makes a bad situation worse. And we think the orthodontist or the pediatric dentist should be the superheroes. But working with allergists, working with ENTs, working with pediatric sleep specialists, and we know that there's a way out of this. So yeah, my father looked at orthodont. The orthodontist didn't want to listen. And of course, they were in the orthodontic li- literature. People like Linda Aronson and Vig and, uh, you know, with the monkey experiments um, and people like, uh, you know, Ricketts and Brody. They knew that the airway, they know the airway is very important, but it's kind of been forgotten from their literature. And now there's a new young generation of orthodontists coming up. And they're great. Audrey Yoon, some of the people at Stanford, there's a whole generation of orthodontists coming up that are very good. And they're starting at a very young age. And people like Myobrace out of Australia, Chris Farrell, Healthy Start, Vivos. There are these myofunctional devices, appliances that you can use starting at age two, two and a half. So they're out there. It's just that we're encouraging more general dentist, pediatric dentist to get into this and not wait for the orthodontist to see the patient at age seven. When they're seven, or, or as Dr. Boyd refers to them, geriatric, which- They're old already. They're like yeah. geriatrics. At age seven, yeah, too late. I mean, Kevin Boyd said, like Steve Sheldon, they're like geriatric patients in his practice at seven-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, that's just such a mind. It, that'll, I mean, it's it, when I remember the first time I heard him say that, and I thought that was such a strange comment, but the more I thought about it, I mean, that's kind of a profound statement that it's too late. I mean, they're geriatric. Well, we, we, listen, Kevin Boyd has taught me a lot. We all feed off of each other, right? Yeah. And then finally, we got Bill Hang. Now Now Bill Hang is teaching a course on early childhood intervention, mm-hmm. ECHO. So now, finally, we got Bill Hang. Bill Hang would, 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 would go in at age eight with BioBlock. But after listening to people, and we were all part of the course at NYU that I started, we had Barry Raphael there, Kevin Boyd. We're all in the same wavelength is that mm-hmm. and Moralia, we got to get in there at an early. The earlier you get in there, the better. 
Listen, orthodontics is all about brain development. Orthodontics has nothing to do with teeth. Okay. Dentist, dentistry is not really about teeth. Dentistry is about the health and the wellness of the patient attached to the, to the teeth. And I used to like to listen, Roger Price would talk about that. We've got to treat the person who's attached to the teeth. The teeth only go in the foundation and the foundation, like Barry talks about and Ben talks about, our foundation, our bone, every generation, we're like rats. Our bone and our faces get more narrow, more collapsed, and we don't have the architecture. We have to make everything wider Mm-hmm. And then the teeth will all be straight again. And we can do things like, and I guess there's two points just to clarify. This is why that whole cross-functional team, this, this mindset we have to shift to instead of everyone's siloed, you have to come at it as a team because the lactation consultant early on could spot some of these things and help some of these things so that the child can breastfeed and work on that jaw development and the tongue. Expand. And the tongues. Yeah, strengthening the tongue, getting it where it needs to be. And the tone, yes, the tone, getting the tongue, the proper restoral posture. So getting the lips together and getting the tongue up on the palate and Mm -hmm. getting the the tongue being up there as a muscle to start to expand and get these muscles to relax and get the swallow to be correct, get the the tone to be better. And so we have to work with our myofunctional therapist, our speech language pathologist, our hygienist. And then the OTs have to start talking to the SLPs, have to start talking to the physical therapists. Right. And we can't all be siloed. So we that's the educate. We're, we're getting the OTs in there now because artificially we've given at the OTs, we give the kids to them from zero to two or zero to three for feeding mm-hmm. issues. And they have it. And then they hand it off. But it's too artificial. There shouldn't be that designation Uh, between the OT and the SLP. It goes down to curriculums. It goes down to turf wars. And we know that the curriculum is so outdated, at least I know in the dental curriculum, but the same thing has to be true in the OT curriculum and the SLP curriculum. Right. And that's what we're hearing, that it's, um, I've had many pediatricians make comments about, we didn't even talk about the airway or we spent three hours. And that's well, it. So and I wasn't even allowed. It. Right. I w- when the IAM, I wasn't allowed to speak about airway seven years ago. Wow. They wouldn't allow it. Mm. They didn't think it was in their charter. They didn't think it was in their uh, description <laughs> of the specialty that they should have anything to do with airway. They thought their profession was about speech. It's like dentists think it's about teeth. Orthodontists think it's about straight teeth. Orthodontists is not about straight teeth. Right. But they right. think that a lot of them think it is. And the public right. with Invisalign, they think it's about aligning teeth. Aligning teeth is sometimes not the best thing for the airway or the TM joint. True. True. And I see this um, in your practice and, and anyone that goes to your website, we'll put a, a link on there as well. But on your website, your hygienists are actually, it's in there as the oral systemic wellness hygienist. Um, and to me, yeah. it's just, again, it's a simple thing, but that really does kind of set the tone for how you and your practice approach well, this. Listen, I missed the boat. So at that same dinner that I had with Gary Cady and Whit Wilkerson <clears throat> and Howie, Gary said, why don't you come down and meet me in Nevis? And when I went down there to talk to his group about airway, 
Bale and Deneen, Brad Bale and Amy Deneen were talking about the harmful bacteria that live in the mouth, the oral microbiome. And they explained to me how P. gingivalis and AA and other, and now we know there's really five, but they did the studies that showed that these bacteria made it increased inflammation. So remember we talked about inflammation? Mm -hmm. Well, if you have these harmful bacteria, not only do they make the gut, the epithelium more permeable, we used to call it leaky gut, Mm -hmm. but it leads to systemic inflammation. And then the wall of the artery, they call it the atherogenic triad. They're more susceptible to strokes. They're more acceptable to myocardial infarction. So they say, we will guarantee you, patient, you'll never get a heart attack, a stroke, or diabetes, but you have to go to a dentist that has a CAT scan, a CBCT. You have to do a disinfection protocol So if you have these five or these eight bacteria in your mouth, Uh you have to neutralize the bad ones, leave the good ones alone because they're good for you. I mean, our microbiome runs the show. And then it's been evolving with people like, you know, Doug Thompson and Gennady Stella Life and Tim Cush with Terry Free. And so we have these mechanisms now that we can start to manage oral systemically. Now, a part of that, like Howie says to me and Michael, the first part of that is doing this. Right. Because if you, yeah. Right. You got to close the mouth. And what, what people don't talk about, when you get increased oxygen in the system, it kills a lot of those anaerobic bacteria. So in other mm. words, the pH, the pH okay. balance and, and, and Kim Cush and Susan Maples talk about the pH balance is very important. Part of maintaining that pH balance, and it's got to be between, you know, it could be off by 0.1 or 0.3, but breathing through the nose at night and having an open airway is also part of the oral systemic balance and it interacts with how the, the, the environment where we allow these bad bacteria to get away and live. Okay. So, so, so the oral systemic is directly related to the airway, but we have to have the hygienist out there and the dental practices, I believe should be anti-inflammatory dental practices, Mm. anti-aging. So you could call your practice. I'm an anti-inflammatory dentist. Basically what you're saying is I care about your health. And I realize that I'm not just treating teeth. I'm treating the structures the hiding areas, the gums, the periodontal, and I am treating the bacteria that reside in your mouth because I understand that there's a relationship between oral health or the oral microbiome and the brain microbiome and systemic health. So in other words, the oral oral microbiome talks to the gut microbiome because it goes down there and some of those bacteria survive. But also, if you have leaky gut and the P. gingivalis gets out, P. gingivalis, which starts here in the mouth, number one offender bacterially for Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So in other words, you would never think, you would never think that if you had a relative or you wanted to prevent Alzheimer's, you wouldn't think that the first person you should go to is your dentist. No, no. But I'm telling you that the dentist plays a key role in Alzheimer's prevention. 
Now, people don't care as much about the heart because you can get bypass surgery. There is no brain, there's no bypass for the brain. You can't put in a new brain. There's no there replacement. No. You can't put right. stents in. Right. So there's a lot of us out there, and we know by 2050, half the baby boomers are going to have Alzheimer's. So I think it behooves yeah. us to make sure we're getting enough slow-wave sleep, delta sleep. It behooves us in our 50s and our 60s to make sure through sleep tests and through going through an airway-centric dentist that we're getting good oxygen, we're getting good sleep, because that will stall or put off or prevent. So Dale Bredesen says that Alzheimer's is now optional. Uh -huh. But he's got to fill up, of the 38 holes in the roof, you've got to fill up at least 12 of them or 13, and then the other ones tend to fill in. So in other words, you got to exercise. Okay. That, that'll cut Alzheimer's by 50%. But you also okay. have to have a dentist, and Chip Whitney is teaching this now. It's called the Recode Protocol. You've got to recode? have the, the Recode Protocol. Okay. You've got to have a dentist and a hygienist on the team, along with a neurologist, along with your trainer, who's going to have you do exercise. Okay. Okay. So it's a again, it's a team. It's uh -huh. a slightly different team. But it could be part of the airway-centric team because we want our team also to be, and at our meeting at APMD, we're going to have more and more lectures. And we, 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 Dale, Dale Bredesen is going to be the keynote. And he's going to be telling the dentist how you can prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. And that to me, that, that's just, I come from a family where Alzheimer's is rampant. So to have somebody well, that actually can, that to me is just, well, so groundbreaking. tomorrow you should go get the HR5 test or oral DNA or oral vital. Get a bacteria test for your mouth and see what your profile is because I bet your family members are susceptible to having some of these bacteria like P. gingivalis. And you guys may have high levels and you may have to do certain type of treatment that decreases the level of something like P. gingivalis. Yeah, and this these kind of conversations, I mean, to me, this gives a whole new meaning to, as a biology major, and you went through this, this is the gateway for everything. This is the gateway to your body. But, you know, the way we were taught, um, it has more to do with what we're putting in it. And well, yes, yeah. And this is just, it's a, it, it is the gateway, but it's a very different gateway. It's different. And also when everyone talks about sleep, it's all about how many hours did you get? Right. I don't hear a lot about quality. I just hear, well, you need to get eight hours, seven to eight. Well, I know people that get 10, but that are exhausted because the quality of the sleep is so poor. The mm -hmm. oxygenation is so low and the sleep fragmentation is so high. They can get 20 hours of sleep and they wouldn't feel refreshed. Right. Because they never get to where they need to. And so is right. this where are these oral appliances, these oral sleep appliances, specifically like the air, the Ayurveda? So the, 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 Ayurveda, the, Ayurveda, the Ayurveda, the Ayurveda, that's the new healthy night guard. So let's talk okay. about that. You've got to understand yeah. that 90% of the dentists in America are putting in night guards that are closing the airway. So we wow. were taught in dental school, we were taught if you want to get an A and pass your boards, we were taught to put the jaw sometimes in a backward position cuspid guidance to have very smooth platforms on it 
So I'm telling you, the literature says 50%. I'm saying it's 50 to 90% of these night guards that people are wearing every night are actually closing the airway, they're increasing snoring, and they're increasing sleep apnea. And so Lane Martin and I came up with the Aravada, which we have the airway promises. So the airway promises means with our, with the old primitive night guard, uh -huh. it would prevent you from wearing down your teeth and breaking teeth. Yes, it did that. Right. But at least a 50% chance of closing the airway. With the new night guard, with the Aravada, we open the airway, you wake up in a better mood, more refreshed, no clicking, popping, locking, decreased clenching, and no headache. So, so it does more, I, obviously more than just prevent the grinding. Somehow you're helping open a little bit. Well, you're opening. So instead of pushing it back, it's what my father was saying. Okay. It's in a phonetic position, like 66 Mississippi. So when I speak, when I say the S sounds, my jaw comes forward. So okay. we're putting them in an airway open position, airway friendly position, airway centric position, airway centered position. We're aware of the airway because we can image it, we can test it. And, and anyone that gets a night guard gets a home sleep test first. Mm, okay. So the American College of Prosthodontics, they're the ones, they, look, it wasn't Michael Geld that said this. The American College of Prosthodontics said, look, you guys are going to have liability out there because they showed the studies that showed that 50% of these devices were closing the airway that their members had been making. And that, look, there's nothing wrong. We didn't know any better. Right. Don't know what you don't know. But once you have the Me Too movement, once I tell you you can't sexually harass a woman, once I tell you that this behavior is not allowed anymore, it's not, it's fr it's not the way that we do business, the dentists are no longer allowed to close the airway as of today. Right. So anyone that listens to me, it's like Gary Katie said, it's like Thomas Kuhn. You can't see it. Once you fry the A, you can't unfry it. Mm -hmm. Once you see the arrow between the E and the X on the FedEx logo, you're always going to see yes, the arrow. Yes, you always see it. Yep. So once you see someone who's worn down their teeth, or once you see someone that has a large tongue, scalloped tongue, or once you see a crossbite, or once you see someone that's breaking restorations, or once you see a kid that has a high, narrow palate, or when you see a kid that has circles under their eyes. Mm -hmm. You can't unsee it. But dentists never looked at the tongue. You know what dentists think the tongue is? Hmm. Something that gets in the way when they do a filling on your lower uh, molars. That they have, they, uh, <laughs> they have to like move this, it. <laughs> that, that, you know, let's, we got an assistant. Can I get a mirror? I got to keep that tongue out of the way so I don't. Right. The dentists don't even know there's a tongue. The tongue is just in, is a nuisance. And they, we never lift up the tongue. To look under, yeah. Well, we never were taught to do that. So that's missed like 98% of the time. Mm. And we never look at the size of the tongue. We don't grade the tonsil. So we have to start doing that on every patient. Every dentist, Rebecca, is an airway dentist. They're either closing the airway or they're opening the airway. Opening everything, everything that we do in dentistry has an impact on the airway. How, as parents, do we find these dentists, though, that are whether they're certified airway centric or at least they're just focused they're, they've made that shift in their mind how do you find them so i think you know the foundation of airway health had an airway pledge so on the foundation 
uh, for Airway Health. On that website, airwayhealth.com, I think, uh-huh. we have people that have taken the Airway Pledge. Yeah. Now, we're not certifying. We haven't gone, but they believe that opening the airway is the right thing. Uh-huh. And then if you if you look at the AAPMD website, we have a list in every state and internationally. And then lately, we're forming liaison groups now around the United States. So if people want a curriculum, if people want to have meetings and meetups, these, these collaborative groups that you and I are talking about that we have to work collaboratively. So these uh-huh. groups will get together, let's say once a month, like a study club. And either we can provide the speaker or they have a speaker. And so we have these liaison groups around the country. So this is like a movement, a groundswell movement, because everyone asked me the same question. I got the same question last night in New Jersey at ProSmile. They go, well, how do I find the ENTs are telling us that it's fine to have big tonsils, that we should just leave it alone. So 80% of the ENTs out there are not trained in airway. So we have to look for those one or two in each community that have had the training from the right school, they've been to the right lectures, they understand how important it is to have an open airway. And they're willing to go in and they're willing to treat and they're not gonna make the parent or the kid feel like they don't know what they're doing or the dentist, they're not gonna contradict what the dentist said. So you've gotta be on the lookout and, and that's the way I would do it would be to go to that website. I mean, everyone has the same issue and we're trying to find providers and we're trying to get a list um, there is the ADSM, American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. You know, these are dentists that have been trained in, um, they're interested in sleep apnea, uh, and snoring. That's another group. Um, and that's it. It's kind of like a grassroots movement at this point. Yeah. And I'll make sure that we, we add, um, those other two on the children's airway first website. We do have a link to the airway health solutions to their list. Good. Um, but we'll yeah, and, I'll make sure yeah. that we have the others because an airway health solutions like Ben Moralia, Lauren Geitz, Airway Health Solutions is another good group. They probably have a thousand mm-hmm. dentists now that Ben and Lauren have trained. I'm training them on TMJ and I okay. talked to them about airway. So look, we're we're trying, we're educating, we're out there at all these meetings, um, attempting to spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. So as parents, I mean, aside from finding an airway centric dentist, which at this point, there is no argument. That's what we all should be looking for. What are some things that we can do on our own as parents just to help with our, our children's oral development, just to get them off, aside from you know breastfeeding, obviously? You know, what I if think, we have you have older kids? The number one thing, and Jeremy Montrose talked about this last night, my associate, maybe the number one thing is that they become nose breathers, nasal breathers. Okay. So you said at the beginning, you said 25% of kids are probably, I I think you're probably about right. So those kids are going to be at risk. They're going to grow up looking like me. They're going to get, they're going to become vertical growers, long face growers. So in other words, my face could have grown differently if I was breathing through my nose and my, my prefrontal cortex would have. So beginning like uh, North American Indian mothers do this. Oh yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. They teach the kids, they train them like therapists. The mothers do this. And so if your kid is making noise when they sleep, if they're noisy breathers, if they sleep with their heads arched back, if the kids, I wet my bed until I was six. 
when I had my tonsils and adenoids out, I stopped wetting my bed the next day. So my daughter went into speech language. We treated this kid who was wetting his bed at age 13. The day that I put a prosomnus device in, he stopped wetting his bed. Because he's out of that fight flight mode at night. He's actually yes. resting. Look, well, you and I will get up to take a pee. We'll go to the bathroom. The kid's in such a deep state. The kid doesn't, he just goes in the bed. He doesn't, he has to go, but it's, it's related to angiotensin. It's related to these factors with the kidney. And once you open the airway, you get rid of night terrors. You can oh. get rid of clenching. You get rid of bedwetting. And sometimes even narcolepsy can improve when you treat the sleep apnea. So I'm saying, if you're beating yourself up as a parent, the kid is having feeding issues. All they want to eat is potatoes. They're very particular. A lot of those kids really have airway issues. And if your kid's been labeled as having oppositional defiant disorder, don't wait for a school psychologist to label your kid. We got two types of kids, Rebecca. Okay. We've got the, we got the lethargic kid. We got the heavy kid, low tone, like Joe the fat boy and Dickens. We've got the heavy kid who's lethargic. Yeah. And we got the thin kid who's... He's he's running around. He's hyper. He's 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 bouncing off the wall. So it can, it goes it goes in two ways, right? The okay. phenotypes go in two ways, but they're both both kids have problems. The same thing, though. It's, it's the same it's the thing. Same. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. Sometimes it goes to the cardiac, and sometimes it goes to the brain. So sometimes it's more metabolic. Sometimes it affects the way that we concentrate our behavior we're beating up other kids, we're aggressive, or we're overly shy. So I'm saying, you're going to know if your kid, and this is much more true for ADHD than on the spectrum. Kids on the spectrum growing up will have insomnia. They'll have a lot more behavioral issues. Okay. But what, what most people believe is this, look, give your kid the best possible diet you can, or organic food, if, okay. as much as you could afford. Let your kid get out and exercise, keep them away from pollution. Get them in a pollution-free environment. Let them exercise at least an hour a day. Read to your kids at night and make sure they have an open airway and that they're nose breathers. But if you're a parent, you're going to be starting to notice the behavior of your kid when they're two months, three months old. And then once they can run around, you're going to see if they want to run around or you're going to see if they're like, <laughs> no. Right. But you're going to know something's wrong with your kid when you compare them to the other kids in the playground and look, you're going to look for the best in your kid, but what I'm saying is there are interventions that you can do as early as day one or day two in the kid's life, like go look under their tongue and see if they have a tongue tie. Now, so there should be, should, there should be no, nothing holding it down at all under there? Well, it shouldn't be restricted. So sometimes okay. they, can't, they can't press the, the nipple up against the palate mm -hmm. because the tongue can't extend up that high. So they can't express the milk. They can't latch on. And so they should be able to latch on easily. They shouldn't have a lot of reflux, a lot of gas. And so the lactation consultant in Brazil, you know, there's a law that you have to do a tongue, a freedom inspection at birth. Right. We should have the same thing in the U.S., but every parent should be doing their own freedom inspection. And meaning just look to see what's there. And see if you can elevate the tongue. Just lift your kid's tongue up and see if the skin, if that piece of tissue, the attachment is so tight 
You'll see it. To... You'll see it at birth. You'll see it. Okay. Got it. Got it. So that's easy, and, an easy thing to do. Yeah, very easy. And you're talking about these these gatherings. Uh, there's one coming up uh, December 9th through the 10th in Savannah, Georgia, which yes. is the Airway Palooza. Um, CAF will be there. A lot of people are going to be there. I believe, you know, you and, and James Nestor, maybe Dr. Boyd, y'all are all speaking there. Dr. Boyd's going to be there. Ben Moralia is going to be there. Scott Siegel, he does the tongue ties. He's going to yeah. be there. Susan Maples, who talks about oral systemic health, is going to yeah. be there. Oh, yeah, also on our board. We um, so there's just what makes this this event though different than a lot of the other dental gatherings, and why is this? You know, why do we want to tell dentists if you haven't already get to Savannah in December? Well, first of all, it's always a treat to have James Nestor, who's a journalist. So he gives us all more credibility because he he doesn't have a vested interest. Right, right. I mean, he's looked at this with a journalist eye. He's interviewed a lot of people. And so it's very rare that we've got, it's very rare that you get Kevin, Ben, me, um, Scott C, that you get us all in the same place at the same time. And that there's mm -hmm. a lot of social time. There's a lot of time to talk to people. You know, you learn more outside the lecture hall sometimes than you learn in the lecture hall. And so if you have a question about your own kid, if you have a question about a patient you're treating, it's a really good time to get together and to, you know, mingle and get to know some of these people because look, they, they shaped my career. They mentored, helped mentored me. I'm sure I helped mentored some of them, but you know, we all learn from each other and that's really the best way to keep up with what the latest information is. And, um, you know, like this whole phenomenon of lip taping, mm -hmm. you know, James, James Nestor probably has done more to promote nasal breathing than probably anyone in, in, in history. Yeah. So I got to give him a lot of credit and he's a great speaker. So we first heard him at Panny, Steve Lamberg's event on Long Island. I, we were with James Nestor and the band played the Pomenots and it was a great experience. So this is really the second time that I'm going to be with uh, James Nestor and it should be, it should be a really wonderful event with uh, a lot of time to spend with these uh, speakers. Yeah. And actually, um, I just did, he's on our, our board as well. And I just finally, cause he's been traveling, he's, he's been all over, got to sit down and talk with him a little bit. Um, oh, good. And, and it's funny when you talk to him about lip taping, he's, he's, uh, he's funny about it because it's, he's, he makes it clear. I'm not telling you to do it, but Hey, it worked for me. And I did some research and it's really good. And you know, now because of the book that is actually, People talk about it now in mom groups. You know, we talk about lip taping, and uh, it, it's. Uh, I think you were, you were your perspective that why it's so profound is because he doesn't have skin in the game. He he really has come at this from a journalist standpoint and just looked at the research and here's what I've got. Yeah, and I think I mean, that's, yeah, that's made all yeah. the difference. Right, right. I mean, look, I'm I'm a dentist. I'm vested. I'm really out to do what's best for kids. Like I want to, I want to change the way that we're practicing. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I'm a little critical sometimes of the dental profession, because like my father before me, I think we can be better. And I think we need to strive to be health and wellness people to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to add to the health and wellness of the family and the children. And I think that certain things that we're doing, 
may not be really the best for kids' health. And I think yeah. we need to we need to go in a little bit of a different direction and to intervene earlier and to focus on nose breathing and to be more collaborative and to find our community, wherever that community, wherever you are in the United States or the world, there will be a community of people that believe in what we're talking about. Yeah. And and I guess on that note, uh, typically at the end of every episode, I like to turn it back over to the guests because I mean, all are the experts. Any last thoughts that you would like to leave with parents or you know with others in your industry? Yeah, you know what? There, if you if you find people that don't know, I mean, Sharon Moore's book, Sleep Wreck Kids. kids. Mm -hmm. So all you need to do is pick up Sleep Wreck Kids. Or Shireen Lim just wrote a book, Sleep, Breathe, and Thrive. Sleep and Thrive, yep. That's a great book. You can pick up the book, Gasp. So we're trying to give you resources that you can take to your doctors. And what I would say to the, the parents out there, keep looking until you find a practitioner that will, will understand what you're saying. And you guys, unfortunately, you still have to be we're in the minority now, right? We're not, this is a movement that's, we started it over 10 years ago with the AAPMD. And, you know, I've been in this field 32 years. So we want more people to come over and just give it, listen a little bit and see if it makes sense to you. I think it makes a lot of sense. But then I had my father mentoring me for 28 years. He just passed away on November 7th. So we, I had him oh, for a long time. But he was he was speaking about these types of things for 60, 60 since 1947. Huh. And he worked till he was 87 years of age. So, you know, I have a little bit of an advantage, which why it seems kind of very simple to me, very straightforward that an open airway is better than a closed airway. And right. that the dental profession is part of the answer, part of the answer. Mm -hmm. Not all of it, but part of it. Yeah. I Cannot thank you enough for coming on today and, and sharing all of your insight. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And you were, you asked me some great questions and it was, it was terrific talking to you, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to today's guest, Dr. Michael Gelb, for sharing his medical insight and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or a comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Parents can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. Looking for more from CAF? Then check out our new YouTube channel, you can find a variety of informative original video content pieces, as well as video recordings and excerpts from selected Airway First podcast episodes. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via our contacts page on our website, or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.